0: If you want to read it from there, but it's a slightly different version. So Galatians chapter two, um, Church Bible says it's on page 1168. In case you don't know what Galatians is, and we're starting at verse 11. When Cephas, that's Peter, no, yes, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolute, absolutely not. Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the Lord that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing.
1: Great. Well, we're going to do something slightly different this evening. We're going to start off with a bit of a a spiritual health check, Uh, a spiritual uh, MOT, to to see how we're all doing. And uh, we're we're going to use this Bible passage that that Ruth has just read to us. So do keep your Bibles open as, as we think about how we are doing spiritually. You see, there's this infectious disease going round. There's this infectious disease going round. In fact, it's, it's thousands of years old, and it's fatal. It's fatal. And one of the things about this disease is that the people who have it tend not to know about it. They don't know that they've got this problem. But the good news is we've got an excellent tool to help us in finding out whether we've got it, and also diagnosing and fixing the problem. And that tool is God's Word. So let's pray and ask the God of the Bible to help us as we read his Word, and uh, as we've, we think about his Word, and ask for, for God to help us to, to shine the light of his Scriptures onto our hearts. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your, your wonderful word that is, that is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. We pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we might see you and know you better. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's this this problem, and the first thing you do with any problem at a health check is you want to begin to to diagnose the problem. If you go to the doctor, the doctor is going to be looking for for two things to see how well or how ill you are. The first thing they're going to be doing is looking for, for symptoms of any disease, anything on the outside, but then they're not going to stop there. They're going to be going under the surface and working out what the, the underlying problem is. So let's think about some of these, these problems on the outside, these, these outer symptoms. The first one that this passage introduces us to is the problem of hypocrisy. Look in your Bibles at, uh, in chapter 2, verses 12 and the beginning part of verse 13. It says, before certain men came from James, he, this is Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. Now hypocrisy is a term we hear all over the place. There's even a chance that, that people here may have even been called hypocrites in their life. But what it actually means is to to put on an act, to be showing something on the outside that isn't true of what's on the inside. So, for example, you're you're an actor in a movie, Uh, you act in a certain way that portrays the character, but isn't actually who you are. That's what it means, actually, to be a hypocrite, to be showing something on the outside that is Different to what is true on the inside. So what is this hypocrisy that Paul is talking about in this verse? Well, it says here that Cephas, who is the Apostle Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. He used to eat with the the non-Jews. And let me explain why this is important. You see, since the time of uh, Moses, many hundreds and hundreds of, of years before this was written... The Jews were not allowed to eat with the non-Jews, with the Gentiles, with with the people from from other nations and religions. You see, the the non-Jews, the Gentiles, were considered to be ceremonially unclean. Meaning, if you did eat with them, that would make you unclean as well. And you wouldn't be able to go off to the temple to, to worship God and to praise him. The Gentiles made you spiritually dirty. So any any God-fearing Jew wouldn't eat with them. There's too much at risk. But something's changed. Something's changed in Peter's lifetime. You see, when Jesus came and when Jesus died, he didn't just die for the Jews. He died for all people. He died for Jews and Gentiles. He died for black and white. He died for men and for women, for rich and for poor, for young and for old. You see, Jesus perfectly fulfilled those laws. So now those those food laws no longer apply. They're no longer valid. Jews are no longer bound into that, that way of living and having to separate themselves. But look at what Peter is doing. Look down in verse twelve. It says that certain men came from the Apostle James, who's Jesus' brother. These are influential, powerful people. But unlike Jesus, who was willing to, to sit and eat with, with tax collectors and sinners, in view of all people, influential and not, Peter's actually, well, what is he doing? He's, he's drawing back. He's removing himself from the Gentiles, when the important people come along. And this is the hypocrisy that Paul is accusing him of. This is his hypocrisy, this is his two-faced action. He's acting one way with the Gentiles and then another way with the Jews. There's one way of behaving when you're with one group and another way of behaving when you're with another group. Perhaps you can relate Are you the same person at church on a Sunday evening as you will be on a Monday morning? With your friends or with your family? I wonder if they were here tonight, would they recognise you as the same person? Or would they say hypocrisy? Perhaps God is challenging you to to think about this, this double life. And what you should do about it, like Paul was to Peter. So what's the problem? Well, the first symptom on the outside is hypocrisy. But as with any illness, you rarely just get one symptom. The second symptom is gospel forgetfulness. Look back at verse 12 again. You see, in addition to living a double life, Peter is forgetting the gospel Itself, He's forgetting the gospel and what it means. And by removing himself from these other Gentile believers when they eat, he's implying actually that those laws, those laws that the gospel of Jesus Christ was fulfilling, they said those laws actually are still in place. You're still bound to them, that in some way Christ's death wasn't enough to deal with them. That you need to go back to those old ways of doing things before Jesus came. That those prejudices still exist. You see, this is, this is bad and this is not the gospel. Peter has forgotten it. You see, there was a pressure in, in Peter's day for, for the new Christians, bearing in mind they've only been around for about you know, 20, 30 years at this point, There's a pressure on them to to conform to the Jewish laws, to the way that things had always been done, whether that's special Jewish festivals or food laws or, or circumcision. And Peter, well, what does Peter do? He buckles under the pressure. It says here in verse 12 that he was afraid. He was afraid. We cannot allow fear of people. Fear of people who view God in, in a different way or in a negative way to make us be less bold about the gospel that we proclaim. This is what Peter was doing. He was, he was giving into that fear. Fear of man rather than fear of God. And right fear of the gospel. And instead of forgetting what the gospel is, we need to remind ourselves and one another of what God has done and how we should live. That's why we, we need one another. That's why we need to come to church to be encouraged and rebuked and built up. And as hard as it must have been for Peter, that's why he also needed Paul. And though they must have been hard words, he needed that correction. And he needed that correction. Well, that was, it was a good thing, wasn't it? Because otherwise the gospel would have been stripped of its glory. The good news that Jesus brought about freedom, freedom from laws and freedom from having to do festivals and from being circumcised and from keeping certain laws. That freedom would have gone and they would have been shackled up again into that old way of doing things, which isn't the gospel at all. The second symptom we see after hypocrisy is this gospel forgetfulness. You see, Peter's forgetting what it means to to live out a gospel life and what it looks like. The third symptom, then, of this disease is, well, it's that it is infectious. It's infectious. Look at verses 13 and 14 and we see that really clearly. The other Jews joined him, joined Peter in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? The reason why Paul confronts Peter and why the reason he confronts him in such a public way is because of who Peter is. Peter is an apostle charged with proclaiming this freedom that Jesus offers. Peter was one of, well we read it in the Gospels, he was one of Jesus' closest disciples. And if he, if this Apostle Peter starts compromising, if he starts compromising on what it means to live out of the Gospel, well then, people are going to gonna follow suit. Like, like lemmings going off a cliff, they're going to follow the first one. And they're going to keep on going. And that's precisely what happened. It even happened. must have broken Paul's heart. It even happened to his friend and co-missionary Barnabas. You see, not only was Peter practising something that went against the gospel on his own, but as it always is the case in these things, he was leading others on this slippery path too. His his actions had consequences that were affecting the whole church in Galatia. At any time in in human history, there's there's always going to be pressures on the church and pressures on Christians to to either water down or or to change the gospel in a way that makes it more more culturally acceptable or that waters down the, the hard things it has to say. Well, those pressures today may be be in a different area. They're not people forcing us, as as Phil said last week, they're not people, you know, forcing us to to be circumcised. But actually, they may be different. They may be about what the Bible says about sexuality. Or what the Bible says about idolatry or, or greed or desiring or envying what other people have. But what do you think is the most dangerous pressure? That a Christian could face when trying to protect the gospel. What What is that one thing? Paul knows it and he says it's here. And this is the disease we're scanning for. It's this idea that it's only by trusting Jesus and something else that justifies you. He knows that is the most dangerous thing for these Christians to believe. That it's by believing in Jesus and something else that gets you right with God. It's Jesus plus that gets you right. That is, why, that is why Paul is so harsh at the beginning of this letter on the church, on the Galatians. Because this is the trap that they are falling into as well. That it's Jesus and good works that makes you right with God. Or it's Jesus and circumcision. Or it's Jesus and the food laws that will save me. It's just not true. It's not the gospel. As we've been encouraged to think, trace the glory. Where does it go to? Does it go to Jesus alone or does it go to Jesus and me as well? It's not the gospel. Well, how do people end up with this, this infectious, forgetful, hypocrisy disease? Well, it's because of its underlying cause. We need to go under the skin and, and see what, what's causing this to happen in the first place. And this underlying cause, well, it's because of faulty belief, faulty belief. Look at verses 15 and 16 in the Bibles. Paul says, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul is saying to Peter and the others who have followed him, in this hypocrisy, that there's a deeper issue. There's a deeper problem going on here. It's not just about who you are eating with or who you are not eating with. The deeper issue is how you understand justification. Justification, being made right with God. That's the problem here. If you go away tonight and forget everything else I've said or everything else in the service, except for this one thing, that will be alright. Well, it would be good to remember the other stuff, but if you're only going to remember one thing, remember this, what it says in verse 16. And I'll read it slowly. A person is not justified by the works of the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel, right there. And that is Christianity, that is what is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's unlike any other religion. It's unlike Hinduism, it's unlike Islam. You are put right with God solely by trusting in him. Don't let anyone tell you that Christianity is anything else than that. If you are here tonight and that doesn't make sense or you don't understand it, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep coming back to this idea. Keep coming back to Galatians two sixteen until it begins to make sense. Read it out if you, you know every day if you want, or write it out, or sing about it. Do whatever you can until you melt this truth. Into your heart. Let me tell you why Paul was so adamant to protect this truth and why I'm getting excited talking about it. It's because there is only one way to get right with God. The Bible says that all of us on on the day of judgment will have to give an account for our sins. But what are we going to say? What are we going to say? How are you going to cover up before a God who sees everything your idolatry or your lust or your lying or your anger or your greed or your envy or, or whatever it is? How are you going to cover it up? You see, there's nothing you can possibly do or possibly say on your own that can save you from a guilty verdict. But that is why justification by faith is such good news. God knows that you can't say or do anything on your own to, to save yourself, which is why he gives it to you. He gives it to you. And he gives it to you at a cost to himself, the cost of the life of his beloved son. You just have to receive it and trust in it. That's what Paul is saying, by faith, by, by trusting in him. That's it. Justified set in the right with God in a single moment. If you've forgotten that truth, or, if, or maybe you, you remember that from a long time ago when you, were, when you first became a Christian, well, be reminded tonight. Be reminded why that is good news. You see, this, this faulty belief that, that Peter displays isn't unique to him. It didn't only happen to people 2,000 years ago. It happens now. And we all suffer with it from time to time. The thing is, how do we fix it? How, how, do, we, how do we live a different life in, in light of this knowledge? Well, if, if God's word has, has diagnosed us and diagnosed you this evening with that sickness or with those symptoms, well, there's good news. There is a wonderful cure. But firstly, there is some serious medicine. And the first First thing, or well the first serious medicine, is that we die to old ways. Look down at verses eighteen to twenty. Paul says, If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Before becoming a Christian, Paul Paul was a Pharisee. He was a he was a teacher of the law. And, well, above anyone, Paul had reason to boast. He even says it in his own words. No one was more religious, was was more zealous for the law, he says, than Paul was. But something happened. Something happened. You see, Paul experienced the risen Christ. He experienced the risen Christ. And at that very moment... His life was changed upside down. Things changed. He went from being someone who was trying to get justified without Jesus, stay in the right without Jesus, to someone who is justified through Jesus and seeing that justification only comes through Jesus Christ. He wasn't trying to be uh, perfectly keeping God's commands with this burden upon his shoulders of of trying to keep the law, but by trusting Jesus. And it freed him, and you can see how it freed him in terms of his character, from being an angry, violent man, to being a man who was willing to suffer everything, even dying for his Lord, because of knowing Jesus. Which is why in in verse 18 he says, to go back to getting confidence any other way than in Jesus is law breaking. It is sin. It is sin. You see, Paul discovers that the cure is actually found in dying. Dying to to his desires, dying to the the desires to place his confidence, as he says, in the flesh, his desires to place confidence in his, his own abilities. He instead places his trust solely in Jesus. That's how he does it. He dies to the old ways and lives to Christ. How are you at dying to old ways? Particularly the things that you try to to trust in apart from Jesus. And they're often in good things. That's, That's the tricky thing. It might be how well you've been doing this week in fighting that, that persistent sin or how devoted you are to prayer since we've launched that this year as a goal for the church or, or how committed you are to, to even helping out at the night shelter or at coffee. You see, these are all really good things, but please don't trust in them to make you at least in part right with God. We need to be rooting out that that kind of faulty thinking in our hearts. And as Paul is saying, dying to it. Dying to it. Dying to the hope we place in anything apart from Jesus to justify us. That's the first treatment. Dying to old ways. Well, the next treatment is being made alive to Christ. Look down at the end of verse 20. Paul says this, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see what word Paul uses to describe life as a justified by faith Christian? I'll give you a clue, it's life. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. In John 10.10, Jesus tells us that he came to bring life and life to the full. This is the way we fix that faulty heart thinking. By being made alive to Christ. Dying to self and being made alive to Christ. Paul is saying that that being justified is is a one-off event done by God for you through his Son. Declared perfect without any of your own efforts involved. What he then says, he doesn't stop there. What he then says is live that life. Live that life. Don't try and go back and assure yourself that you're right with God because you've had a good day today. Instead, don't even think about living a good life Until you know it will not make God love you any less or it will not make God love you any more. He already loves you. Look at the end of of verse 20 and, and fill your heart with these words. Paul writes, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look at that love until your heart melts look at it. That is Jesus hung upon that cross, nails piercing his hands and feet. As he, as he was stranded there, gasping for breath, he is doing that out of love for you. That's how much God loves you. And if the thought of that has never broken your heart or even brought you to tears or, 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 or moved you deeply, then I would suggest that you haven't got it yet. In that case, keep on looking. Keep coming back to this. Keep coming back to the scriptures until it does break your heart. Until you realise what Jesus did for you. Once and only once you see it, then live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Let's pray. Father thank you for this this incredible uh passage that, that out of a such a, a confrontation between the these two apostles uh, brought around such truth for us to bask in father um if we're, if this is news to us or if we don 't quite get it Lord, please help us to 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 have our eyes. And our hearts open more and more to to the cost of your son and that wonderful justification being made right with you because of Jesus. And Lord, if that's old news to us, then please break our hearts again this evening as we think about and as we worship the Lord Jesus together. In his name we pray. Amen.